Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Unsexy Church Podcast. Hey, I'm so glad, so is Pastor Bob, that you are joining us once again for yet another episode. We're how, back. How are you feeling today, Bob? I'm doing good today. How are you? I'm good. I'm it's good. A busy week, but uh, that's a good thing. It's a fun week. Yeah. yeah. Um, bouncing around a little bit, and I get to preach this Sunday. Uh, what is going to be an exciting passage in Genesis 15. So I appreciate the opportunity to fill yeah, the pulpit. I, I've had the whole week off because I'm not preaching Sunday. <laughs> Do you want to set up a Zoom meeting? Yeah, <laughs> no. I, I wish that were true. I wish that were true. No. Uh, so, hey, uh, today we're going to begin what will be a four-week um, series, if you will, on our podcast where Bob and I will be looking at confusing and controversial passages in the Bible. Um, uh, not all of those passages do we perfectly agree. Um, some of those passages, um, well, really, the good majority of these passages are not primary level issues. They're not talking about necessarily salvation or anything of that, um, of that importance. However, they are important. Uh, some of them are more controversial and some of them are just more confusing. So, uh, do you want to just talk just a little bit about the next four weeks and what we're going to cover? Uh, yeah, so I've these got a are, list of them. I was going to say, do you have the list? I don't yeah, have the list. Not, it's scribbled on there. So these are these are really just perplexing passages, passages that you read that um, you just kind of go, huh? What yeah. was that? At, at least at first reading or at first blush, and then you're going to kind of dig into it. So that's what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. So And, and some of the passages, uh, faithful, godly Christians disagree and have for – Basically, all of church history. Some, some, however, are a little more clear and would be sure. held, um, uh, would be agreed upon mm-hmm. amongst the church. I would agree with that. Yeah. yeah, and and there's probably some our listeners are listening to right now and saying, "Well, I'm, I'm thinking of this passage or this passage." So, if you'd like us to discuss one of these sure. passages, then let us know, and That's we'll good. see what we can do. It. So, we're going to talk about today baptizing for the dead, First Corinthians 15. Strange passage, right in the middle of the context of the resurrection. Uh, then we're going to talk about the 144,000 in, in the book of Revelation. Uh, and then we're going to talk about the midwives, the Hebrew midwives who went against Pharaoh's order to kill the babies. Uh, and God blessed that. So what does that all mean? Yeah. Uh, and then there's a passage that describes, uh, wives as the weaker vessel, um, to their husbands. And so I'm going to discuss. What exactly that means. So that's yeah. kind of where we're headed over the next four weeks. Did you forget, though, that we're needing to talk about the mug of the week? Apparently you forgot we were talking about the mug of the week because that's not a mug that you have in your hand, my friend. So I am mugless this week. I have instead a small protein shake. Uh, this is actually a good one. Tastes like chocolate milk. Uh, it's from GNC. Uh, not a sponsor of this podcast, I was going to say, way. product placement uh, right here. If they would like to sponsor us, I would love more of these that are free. Uh, but... Um, I am drinking this. Instead I'm of sure their executives morning. are listening right now. <laughs> <laughs> They're having a, a really important business meeting. You know what? I was listening to the Unsexy Church podcast, and I heard that one of their uh, co-hosts drinks are Wayabolic 40. I think we need to give them more of the Wayabolic 40 so that it could happen, so that they can talk more to their myriads and myriads of listeners. It, it could happen. Just to be clear, you're the one who's drinking that, not me. You're welcome. Well, not to drink this one, but I have more if you'd like them. Hey, back to baptism for the dead and the best transition this podcast has ever heard of. Back to baptism of the dead. Uh, let's take a minute. I, I'm going to go ahead and read this passage. We're going to talk about four uh, views that you might 
uh, here of four interpretations of this passage that we uh, hear in our day. And then we're going to discuss why we hold to one of those four. And then maybe discuss some helpful interpretation uh, or, or interpretive um, um, uh, tools and then how we would preach this passage. So let's read the passage. This is 1 Corinthians. Did you, you want to say something? Yeah, I would, I would just think a lot of folks listening to this are probably thinking, I don't know what you're talking about, baptism of the dead, because yeah. this is such an obscure passage. It's two verses in the midst of this big passage, and if you're not familiar with 1 Corinthians 15 – you may not even be familiar with this controversial topic. So um, most my folks might be going, what in the world are you guys talking about? So put it in context for us, 1 Corinthians 15, or at least read the verses, and then we'll put them in context as we go. No, that's great. Well, I'll just say just a little bit about the whole chapter, if I mm-hmm. can. Yeah. So Paul here is making a long argument. This is a long chapter in 1 Corinthians 15. It's a well-known chapter uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians where Paul is arguing that since Christ has died – was buried, and later resurrected from the dead, now reigning on high. Christians who have placed their hope and trust in that Christ, in Jesus himself, will have the same hope. They one day will be resurrected from the dead, meaning that you and I, Bob, if we have believed in Christ, and as uh, the mortality rate would would tell us, we will die one day unless Christ returns beforehand, the hope that we have is, in Christ is that he will raise us from the dead and we will reign with him forevermore in new physical bodies. Uh, and the Corinthians were really struggling with this idea. Um, first off, to, to believe that actually there will be a resurrection of our bodies and, and even later in the passage, how that's going to be. They knew bodies decay in the ground. And so Paul eventually gets to this argument where he's like, well, you know, seeds go into the ground and what goes into the ground is it's kind of ugly. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't give a, your wife a seed when you open the door. You would give her, if you're surprising her, the flower that eventually comes uh, up from the ground. Uh, and so uh, his long argument is Christ has defeated death. Christ has resurrected. Therefore, death is of no um, uh, damning factor in the Christian life. In fact, because Christ was victorious over it, we will resurrect as he resurrected. But then there's this weird, weird passage. Weird few things he says. I'll read them, and why don't you just begin making some comments on them. So here's what he mentions in verse 29. Otherwise, meaning if you don't believe there's a resurrection from the dead, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? That's basically what he says right there. Why why are people being baptized in Corinth on behalf of the dead, if you don't believe we're going to be raised from the dead, right? Right. Any more comments you want to make on the context there? Yeah. So if you've ever been to church on Easter Sunday, this was probably the text mm-hmm. or maybe should have been the text that was that was used because it speaks to the veracity of the resurrection, mm-hmm. um, that it is the gospel and it comes as first importance. But yeah. yet there were people in that early church who were saying that there is no resurrection of the dead. Yeah. And this is who Paul is writing about, writing to, saying, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ hasn't been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, then we're all to be pitied because we're all still in our sin. But Christ has been raised from the dead. Um, He's the first fruits. Because he's been resurrected, we can be resurrected. He's going to defeat death as the final uh, enemy. Uh, And so he's placed all this in order, as you just described. And then he gets to these verses 29 and and, and 30. um, And he says, all right, otherwise... What will those do who are baptized for the dead? 
if they're not raised at all, what's the point in being baptized for the dead? Mm-hmm. And the question comes, what in the world is baptism for the dead? That's not something we practice. Yeah, um, It's not something we're accustomed to. But apparently, either there were some in the church practicing this or adhering or, 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 or trying to bring this into the church from cultic practices outside the church. Mm-hmm. And so he's, a, he's addressing an issue, but it's not really his topic. Yeah, and so baptism of the dead. Let's let's just kind of describe what are the views of what that was. Yeah, uh, do you want to hit on one of those first? I or? would love to. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so again, just like you said, he mentions it and then he moves on in his argument. Right. He just mentions it really quick and moves on. He neither condones it nor condemns it. That's right. And so in looking at our views, uh, one um, problem that I think we're going to find is people who put too much weight on a comment. Paul makes in two verses that he never makes again in all of his writings. So this view, uh, the first, we'll mention four different interpretations of this passage. The first would be what you might call like vicarious baptism. This is the view that if someone has died, um, someone there, uh, uh, um, who is still alive in the church needs to be baptized on behalf of the dead person if they were not baptized so that they might uh, experience or enter heaven. This would be a very literal and I think an improper reading of the text where we see, okay, what his comment here is actually a command for all Christians at all times in all churches. And so um, uh, we find um, a, a group practicing vicarious baptism. Uh, the Mormons practice this um, where uh, um, they believe that baptism is necessary for salvation or for entering at least into a compartment of the best parts of heaven. And so they read a text like this, and the way that they've understood it is, well, if my relatives who have not heard the necessity of being baptized are dead, it sounds like we can baptize on behalf of the dead, according to Paul here. And so I'm going to get baptized on behalf of my relative who's passed away so that they will not miss out on heaven's glory. And so we see this actually in churches like uh, Mormon temples, where they will actually name someone who's passed away and be baptized on behalf of them, someone in their family. Um, this is why we see um, like Ancestry.com or, um, uh, you know, different websites that are pursuing Ancestry are actually a lot of times owned and directed by Mormons because they're very interested in finding out uh, who uh, uh, in their family uh, uh, may still um, not have or, or, or wasn't baptized, didn't know about this prophecy from Joseph Smith. So um, any more comments on vicarious baptism? Yeah, some of these different interpretations hinge on the interpretation of the word for. Right. Mm-hmm. So being baptized for the dead. In this case, in vicarious baptism, they would interpret the word for as for the sake of. So mm-hmm. you're being baptized for the sake of someone else. Mm-hmm. And as you're describing, the idea there is that baptism is necessary for salvation or necessary to, to enter into some compartment form of heaven. And if somebody passed away prior to this instruction from Paul or they passed away prior to being baptized, someone that's still alive can be baptized in their stead for their sake. Yeah. Um, that's not the position that you and I would hold. Sure. It's not the traditional position. It's not a biblical position, but it is a position that some hold and think that that's perhaps what Paul is referring to here. Yeah. And and the largest group that does hold that position, of course, is who we've already mentioned, uh, the Mormons. Right. Um, I, I would just say before we move on to our second interpretation that we see common today, um, that is one of the the, the – that is a minor disagreement 
that we have with Mormons in comparison to many other things many they would hold. Um, Christ- Christological differences, um, uh, scriptures, inspiration, and authority, authority differences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but but that is a view that they hold. Uh, the second, which I'll let y- you comment on, uh, would be like a, a symbolic kind of view, meaning the dead he is talking about is our former selves prior to salvation represented in our baptism. So uh, in baptism today, you might say uh, buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. Right. Yeah. So you didn't leave me much there to comment oh, on, no, but that's quite all right. You so symbolic lot. baptism, taking that word for again, uh, they would interpret to say with view to. So for mm-hmm. can also mean with view to. So we are being baptized with view to our death. So we are going to be dying in Christ and rising to walk in newness of life. And so um, they would say that is the the – the practice that Paul was referring to, that this baptism is actually true believer's baptism, and it's just pointing to the fact that we are going to die to that self, Romans chapter 6, mm. and, and walk in newness of life, which I wouldn't disagree with. I believe baptism is symbolic. I just don't think that's what Paul's talking about here. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and I think that's important, right? There, uh, This is a passage where you could easily try to find other passages of Scripture that teach that very truth, that baptism is is um, an, 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 a very important symbolic practice of what took place in salvation, right? right? That we are basically shedding off our old nature and putting on our new nature. We're making a bold declaration of our old self being dead. And so that's true. That's absolutely, absolutely true. true. But the question here is, is that what Paul's referring to? Right. And we would still say, we don't think so. We don't think so. I think Paul would agree with it, yeah. but that's not what his point here. Exactly. And, and you're trying to take this text and fit it in to these other concepts that we see in other passages of Scripture yeah. that we should hold on to, but that's not his point here. That's important. Yeah. Uh, the third, I'll let you comment on this one too, and I'll be more careful to not <laughs> to say too much. Uh, the that's third right. uh, would be um, maybe what we would call replacement. So number one, again, vicarious. Uh, number two, symbolic, which we would agree with just not exactly the point here at all. Um, uh, but number three, replacement or attribu- uh, attribution. Right. Um, so not in view of – I'll let you comment. Sorry. Not in view of <laughs> personal um, uh, practice, but also looking at someone else and their role in baptism. Right. Yeah. So help us out. So two different things there. So replacement is just simply that new converts are being baptized and replacing dead converts. That's it. So we're being baptized to replace the dead people, right? So the church grows and new people get saved and they get baptized and they're just replenishing the ranks of believers within. So that's replacement. The other is um, sometimes referred to as attribution or evangelism where somebody was impactful in your life sharing the gospel. Maybe it was your grandmother, a, a pastor or somebody. They've passed away and you're being baptized with view to what they did in your life. So kind of attributing your baptism to God's work in them. So is it true that God may actually be replacing people, um, in a sense, when someone dies with another Christian? It could be true. Yeah, of right? course it can be true. Uh, sure. Is it also true that someone uh, could have had the impact of salvation in your life by witnessing uh, to you about the gospel and then you get baptized? Um, As a result of at- God's work through, through them, them in your yeah. life. Sure, of course. But the question remains, is this what Paul's talking about? And we would still say... Emphatically, no. We don't think so. This yeah. is not what he's talking yeah. about. Um, so so let's get to the interpretation number four. Uh, this is the most traditional interpretation. Uh, this is the one we find um, 
most agreement in church history. Uh, this would be that Paul is simply making a comment about an ancient church practice of which we can find no other precedent. Paul doesn't command being baptized on behalf of the dead in view of the dead, replacing the dead. Uh, Paul is merely making a comment to this Corinthian church who are practicing whatever it was that was exactly either vicarious baptism or something like that. And he's saying that doesn't make sense if you don't believe there's a resurrection. So I, I would just make a comment real quick before we have a discussion on this. It seems like that um, uh, different apostles in the New Testament are trying to um, encourage and help the church understand that those that have passed away after Jesus has resurrected and after Jesus has ascended um, will not be in any way disadvantaged. Um, you think of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, it, it's right to grieve that your loved ones have 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 gone um, and have died, but they're not going to miss out on the resurrection to come. Um, first Peter, there's going to be scoffers that come in the last days that basically say, where is Christ? He's not returned yet. Uh, and Peter's response to that is, well, with the Lord, a thousand years is to one day, one day is a thousand years. He's patient, not wishing to perish. He's not returned yet because there's many that will still many more that will come to faith in Christ. And here in this passage, he's saying, um, uh, look, you, you might be nervous about the fact of people dying um, and, uh, um, and and not understanding it. In fact, that's what his argument is here in a minute. You, some mm-hmm. will say, how are the dead going to be raised? They go into the ground. It's it's dishonorable. It's their, their body's going to decay. Everybody knows that. Um, and so they've lost hope about the resurrection. And, uh, and Paul says, but what you've been practicing doesn't make sense. Um, uh, with you not believing the resurrection because you're doing something for those who have died. Well, why would you do anything for them if that's the end, right? And so I think this is somewhat of an encouragement to them, but he's pointing out an inconsistency with a weird church practice that doesn't match the fact that they say or are um, uh, unhopeful about resurrection. So do, do you have any idea what this church practice could be like or, well, you know, any thoughts on that? I don't know that it matters. Yeah. It doesn't matter because it's not the point. The point is not baptism for the dead. He is neither condemning it nor condoning it. I think he would condemn it based on what we read from the rest of Scripture. Yeah. But that's not his point in this section. He is dealing with the fact of the resurrection and the impact it has on our lives and our our future resurrections. And so his silence is interesting here. He doesn't talk about it, but it's also it's instructive that he's actually silent about it. Yeah. Um, because his point is not about baptism. It's simply acknowledging the practice and then pointing to his bigger point, which yeah. is what you've just said. If you don't believe in the resurrection, then what you're doing in this practice is nonsensical. Yeah, It does not make sense. If there is no resurrection, then your practice contradicts your stated beliefs. Mm. So why do it? That's the whole point. It's not yeah. about belief. It's not about baptism of the dead at all. He's just saying, here's a practice that some people do. And by the way, he always says they and them. It never, it's right. never us and we. It's they do this. Why do some people practice this? Why do some people do that? That's how he says it. Yeah. Exactly. Why do they do this? Exactly. So his point isn't to bring up a discussion on baptism. His point is to use this to drive home the point of if you don't believe the resurrection, then why are you doing this? It's just yeah. nonsensical. It does not make logical 
sense. Yeah. So this is just a small part of a logical and theological argument he's making to exalt Christ and lay before the Corinthian church our hope of resurrection. Right. 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 Um, so it, it's an interesting passage. It's not one. He doesn't talk about baptism uh, of the dead for the dead in any other letter he writes, and no. he writes the majority of the New Testament letters. Uh, so uh, it seems to come out of nowhere. It's probably unique to Corinth itself. Uh, and he just basically is using it, as you said, as an argument for the resurrection, as a larger, a small part in his larger argument about the resurrection. Which I, which I think leads us to just a discussion about proper biblical interpretation. So if we're going to discuss these perplexing passages or difficult passages, it's important that we always are placing these passages in context because context is king. In order to uh, interpret properly, you have to observe properly. So you have to put it in its context, historical, mm-hmm. theological, biblical. Then then you can interpret it, and then, then you can apply it. So yeah. putting it in context is so vitally important. And you don't base doctrine on a single, obscure, isolated passage of Scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to consider the whole counsel of God's Word. So what does God's Word clearly teach about baptism? Yeah. Then you can say, how does this fit into that context? Not the other way around. Yeah. Uh, so go with what you know. Okay. I know that the Bible teaches this about baptism, that baptism does not save because we aren't saved by our own works. Right. It is a symbolic act of what God has done for us. Um, and then work from there. So if it's, if, if, sal- if baptism is not about salvation, that then helps me understand how to interpret 1 Corinthians 15, 29 and 30. Yeah. Paul cannot be arguing for baptism of the dead to get them into heaven because it goes against the rest of Scripture. Yeah, two more things I would just say about interpretation, um, one of which is just piggybacking off of you. Um, I, I think a, a good method of interpretation, I've heard many um, individuals say this, is that you um, should interpret the unclear passages um, that arise in the Bible here and there right. with the clear passages across the scriptures, mm-hmm. right? Which is basically what you're saying. So say you come across a really unclear passage in Revelation or in Daniel or in Ezekiel or wherever it might be. Okay, look at the whole counsel of God's word and how would that help us interpret the, the unique passage? I would just say too, um, we would say in its context, he, he looks like he's pointing at a historical event that, that Corinth is practicing, a historical practice. Uh, a lot of times when we read history in the Bible, um, historical narrative, for example, um, it's not to uh, encourage us to follow suit with what someone did. For example, I heard someone say uh, that they were uh, leading a person, uh, an atheist, but uh, uh, interested in reading the Bible through the first you know, book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. And the person who was reading it for the very first time with the person who was um, teaching him, it basically said to his teacher, I, "I hate to tell you this, but I don't think I can, I can stand by anything these people are doing in the New Testament. They all seem like they're messing up." And the teacher was basically like, "Yeah, that's kind of the point, right? Um, because the Bible's not written to say that anyone's perfect except for one that is to come. Mm-hmm. It's 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 all to point us to Jesus. And so, a lot of times you'll get a." To these passages, like in Genesis 19 or um, uh, or other Old Testament passages, where someone who you think is set up to be a a uh, an honorable character does something dishonorable, and it's not saying go and do likewise. In fact, it's proving the point that the person who is to be born from woman has not yet come. 
Abraham's not it. Mm-hmm. Oh, we thought he was going to be it. David's not it. Oh, we thought he was going to be it, but he did this thing with Bathsheba, and it's, oh, there's got to be one still coming, right? So when you read historical narrative, be very careful to just take something that takes place and say, oh, I must imitate that. That's not how, that's, that's not the way the Bible's written, or that's not the, how we should interpret historical narrative. Right. And don't just, don't assume that since the Bible mentions something, it's advocating for that's it. That's right. Just that's because right. it mentions it doesn't say it's right. You know, polygamy, it's mentioned in the Bible, does not say it's right. In that's fact, right. it says it's wrong. So uh, I, I think to your point, just because it's in there doesn't mean it's pushing that position. So just because there's a statement about baptizing for the dead doesn't mean the Bible's advocating it. That's right. That's yeah. right. Uh, anything else you would say to this passage? Um, no, just just reemphasizing that um, the Bible's emphatic that baptism does not save us. We're not saved by our works. We're saved by grace through faith, not of works. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Titus 3. Romans 4, multiple passages we can go to. So just driving home that point um, that any works do not save us. Baptism, circumcision, going to church, tithing, whatever it may be, does not save us. And so uh, just making sure we're, we're clear that baptism is just a picture of what Christ has done for us. Yeah, two more quick things that I would just add to that as I'm thinking about it. Uh, the first is this, that, that you can't do something for another person to be saved. Absolutely. Um, we witness. We have a responsibility as Christians to witness to others. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, we rely on the Lord to save someone. So I can't I can't save someone by doing something for them. I can only stand as a testimony to what Christ has already accomplished. Um, and then third, I would just say that at the point of death, um, there there that there is no more there are other opportunities for salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, we by God's grace, after hearing the gospel, must respond before we die. Um, the Lord knows the days um, of all of our lives. Mm-hmm. They are numbered. Um, to gain a heart of wisdom, we must count those days. We must realize that our life is short. Uh, and so um, we, we must not think that um, there's some sort of like um, second chance after after death. The Bible speaks very clear of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's just good to know, helpful to know. Yeah, I think both of those are really good comments that each person is responsible for their own relationship with God. As much as I want to make a decision for somebody else, I can't do that. Yeah, I can lead them there and share, but each person is responsible to personally believe. Um, yeah, so uh, good stuff. Yeah, good stuff. Hey, well, thanks for tuning in this week. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and leave this here before I close this off. Next week, we're talking about the 144,000. And this is actually a passage that Pastor Bob and I, with his infinite wisdom and my, my uh, neophyte. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, that we disagree on. And so we want to practice, um, charitable disagreement in this discussion. And so we hope you tune in. We'll be in Revelation chapter 7, walking through the 144,000 and how different godly men and women have understood this passage. So we hope you tune in next week. Thanks for listening in and feel free to leave not only a rating review, but a question for us to discuss. Thanks guys. Have a great week.